the reason why somebody would buy from an independent brand is because they want to support a person rather than a faceless sort of big corporate business. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. welcome to episode number 138 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Elizabeth Stiles. Well, we're more like putting the world to rights together in this episode because Elizabeth comes from a similar background to myself. She worked as a junior buyer from Miss Selfridge and then as a supplier to high street retailers. And now she's a fashion consultant working with small brands who need advice on how to develop their businesses. So she gives straight talking, no nonsense advice on marketing, manufacturing and mindset. And she's got some great tips in this episode as well for people that are starting out, such as why it's better to start with small quantities rather than invest a lot of your hard earned cash in stock when you first start, why you need to find your USP and how you can stand out as a small business as well. So she's got some fantastic advice. She also says that you don't need to be a bitch to succeed in fashion. And I wholeheartedly agree with that one. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Elizabeth. Here you go. So hello, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. You're always more smiley than I am. <laughs> it's great to have your smiley face on the podcast. I know. I do love it. I can't help it. It's just I might, <laughs> my cheeks are just set this way. Well, for anyone that's listening that can't, obviously is listening and can't see you, I am recording this. So hopefully we'll also have a video version of this as well yeah. that we can put out. So for those people that don't know, do you want to just give us a little bit of a detail about Elizabeth Styles, what do you do yeah. and where I, did you come from? I know, it's, I always feel like Cilla Black saying that on, <laughs> on my podcast. Tell us <laughs> about where you come from. Um, so I'm Elizabeth, I'm from Bedfordshire and uh, fun fact, I've never, I've never lived in London despite working there. I'm sure people are always like, do you want to live in London? I was like, no, never. I'm like a proper country bumpkin. And um, I studied fashion retail buying I, I was one of the first people to study it so when I started nobody had graduated from that course so it was really fun um at DeMontfort so, oh you were at DeMontfort so Leicester yes yeah. yeah and they have really great um interactions with like the big brands in the Midlands so I actually won my job from a competition at uni and got a job at Next. And so I was a trainee by there, then um, kind of worked my way up, left there, went to Arcadia. Without saying too much, it was the worst year of my life. <laughs> Did <laughs> not have a on Arcadia were you at? With Topshop, was it? Selfridge. Miss Selfridge, okay. Yes. As a buyer. Uh, junior buyer there, like yeah. senior assistant, all the, all the different titles and things. Um, so I was on Jersey where, so it's like the, the big money taker for the business 
didn't hang about, got out of there pretty swiftly and then went to Asda um, and managed their boys' 4-14 jersey range, which I loved, like sending emails about sloths and dinosaurs all day. <laughs> and um, then one of my suppliers headhunted me and was just literally rang me at my desk and was like, um, I, you're just going to have to say that it was the wrong number, but do you want a job? <laughs> and I was just like, okay. He was like, here's my phone number, write it down. And then hung up. All my team were like, who is that? And I was like, oh, it's the wrong number. But it was like a job offer. And then I went down to go meet him. Um, and then I worked at a supplier for like about five years. And then that supplier set up their own business, uh, their own brand, managed the launch of that. And uh, when I when I was doing it, I was like, oh, my God, this is really hard. <laughs> like, there's so, there's so many things to think about, like PR, social media, like everything 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 and so I thought okay I've got what 12 years background in fashion I'm finding it hard what about if somebody was a lawyer and they wanted to start a fashion brand like how hard must they find it that's extra hard and so then I just sort of had this idea one day of maybe helping people in the fashion industry do the thing that they love um and so yeah in 2018 I left the, my official job and became a fashion brand consultant and I work with independent brands on their like trends, design, sourcing, manufacturing, um, marketing as well. Because once somebody's learned how to manufacture it, they want to know how to sell it. <laughs> and then when they sell it, it's a bit of a mind mess. So um, I, I work with people on their mindset as well with how to market it and manufacture it. Brilliant. So just to backtrack a bit then, so what's interesting, so our backgrounds are quite parallel in the fact that we both worked in retail. I never worked for Philip Green. It's an experience. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen the film Greed? Yes, I have. Yeah. For anyone that's <laughs> I, I went on my own. I was like, I cannot take anyone else with me. I need to just fully immerse myself in it. Yeah, it's just too. It's very, very close to reality, isn't it? So you worked in on the retail side, and then you went to the supplier side. So yeah. supplier being actually developing the products that the the buyers that the retailers selected for. How did you find sort of making that transition, going to the other side and oh, becoming a supplier? You have and to everything sourced from at the time. Yeah, you have to swallow your pride big time. <laughs> Because, I mean, he, the guy that ran it always hired ex-buyers because he knew, like, what you're up against. And um, you know what they need, you know what they demand, you know why they demand it in the way they do because they're being put under so much pressure. And so, yeah, like, the, the way that you're spoken to is different because <laughs> you're 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 being off service to somebody at the end of the day and which is fine you know it, it didn't take me long to realize that and then the other difference is that there's two emails for everything and so um I always imagined with kind of walking down the road and I was the middle person between the retailer and the factory. So for every top, every costing, every delivery date, you've got an email to the buyer and an email to the factory. And it's like they live on opposite sides of the road, but they can't talk to each other. So you're walking down the road like, <laughs> like saying this person said this and this person said that. Um, so, yeah, like the emails kind of multiply very, very quickly. 
and uh, you've lug a suitcase around London. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember being visited by the suppliers when I was, well, particularly when I was at Debenhams. I've always felt really sorry for the suppliers coming in with those big suitcases. Yeah, hopeful that the buyers were going to select something they brought in. Yeah. But in that respect, though, you get to, like you say, be much closer to the manufacturers and yeah. be that person that's negotiating with the manufacturers and having to get to those target cost prices that the retailers are looking yeah. for, which is tough, isn't it? I know. I actually did a video on this recently because on that misguided documentary, there was a lot on Instagram about why was that buyer negotiating 10p? And, and it was like, no, if she was buying 3,000 units, that's like, what, 300 quid? Like, she's not negotiating te- actually 10p. No one does that. <laughs> like, it's hundreds, and if not thousands of pounds. And so... Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, I've 100% negotiated pennies in the past, as I'm sure you have. And it's because it does multiply quite quickly. And that's your job as a buyer, isn't it, is to make as much profit as possible. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I understood where they were coming from and why they put they load so much pressure onto the manufacturer. But then also, you don't want to push the manufacturer so far that they start maybe outsourcing it to different places and it's, it's a lot you can see how it happens can't you where where good products end up in bad factories yes yeah but just that reason because it's a difference of 10 pence yeah I mean I, I don't know what the you know the, the solution is to that I mean what are your thoughts on on that in particular in respect to you know some of the issues that have been surrounding factories that who have been working with recently in in Leicester of all places I know I think there is definitely I actually don't buy anything off of Amazon because um I think that well I have heard that they don't actually make any profit on the retail side of their business um they make all their money through streaming and like Amazon Prime and stuff so they just undercut 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 get everybody's email addresses and then make money elsewhere and it to me, I, I think that should be illegal because they're, um, it's not a fair competition. And you know how like BA got in trouble years ago for that fixed pricing um, problem. And it, that's like one of the worst crimes you can commit in England, isn't it? It's like fixed pricing. But then undercutting somebody technically illegally without making any profit is yeah. absolutely fine. And so I think Boohoo have kind of... Um, done the same thing because they're effectively uh, creating competition illegally by using slave labor and the that means that it's kind of been brushed under the carpet for so long that it's been accepted and so people have a warped sense of reality of what things cost and so when I start working with clients and they say oh but how much is my t-shirt going to get cost cost to get made in London I say oh I don't know about 15 pounds like what no, no one's going to pay for that that's just the cost price yeah I, I think no like watch your language to start with because there are people paying that there's people buying like 500 pound gucci t-shirts they will they will pay it it's just about explaining the value as to why your t-shirt doesn't cost yeah. five pounds yeah that's so true yeah, and that's a really good point, actually, because I get the same thing. People going, how much does it cost to, to make something in London? And yeah. can you just find me a really cheap UK manufacturer? No. The two <laughs> things don't go together, but for a reason, and you've got to have that different point of difference. Yeah, because it doesn't, isn't like, it's not that hard to work out. Like, if the minimum wage is £8.50 and I gave you a sewing machine, how long would it take you to make a T-shirt? 
two hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's about it that's before we've even put like fabric and stuff on it so just try and work it out like how long it would take and then how much people should be paid fairly which I actually think machinists shouldn't be paid minimum wage because it's very very skilled and and they didn't used to be no I know no. it's it's crazy and I'm very very vocal on my Instagram about when girls are working in factories and they want to start their own brand like trying to get them freelance work because when you start working freelance you can get paid what like 18 pounds an hour to be a seamstress but yeah yeah I mean give somebody a pattern from John Lewis and say try and make it up I'd, I'd love to yeah, exactly. my dad try and put that together like it's really hard <laughs> Yeah, I, I think more and more people, though, are now doing making products themselves. I don't know where you found that with your clients. So many more small businesses are thinking, actually, I'm going to cut out that middleman. I mean, for you, even I remember from my retail days, we started cutting out the suppliers because it was that middleman. Like you say, the, the retailers had lost contact with the manufacturers, and many of them still have. They have the people in the middle, which does mean they don't know how to communicate with factories. Yeah. And and I find that a lot of smaller brands now just actually want to just go direct and make it themselves. Yeah, or so, maybe work with a seamstress as well because they um, they have an idea in their mind and then they might go and get a tech pack done. And then working with a factory that people say, oh, you know, I, I know we were chatting about this on the phone the other day. Oh, I messaged loads of factories and nobody's getting back to me. And it's probably because you're not quite ready to work with a factory yet. And I get up and running with a seamstress. They're not going to charge you any minimum order quantities. Yes, the individual cost price might be slightly higher, but the overall investment will be so much lower. And so when people go, oh, it's more expensive, it, it will cost me more to work with a seamstress. And I'm like, no, if you buy less of anything, it will cost yeah. you less. It's just be look, looking at the individual cost versus the overall investment. It, it does kind yeah. of work out well for you in the end. Get a bit of traction going, build your audience, notice what your best sellers are, work with somebody quite closely so you've got that flexibility. And then once you've built a bit of traction, then you can go to a factory and then somebody is likely to take notice of you. Yeah, exactly. So who are the typical clients that you've worked with? Are you able to name any of them? Yeah, I worked with um, Lucy and Yak. I work with them. I work with Olivia Rose, the label, who is the most beautiful, beautiful brand. It's like uh, all going out dresses, big puff sleeves, really over the top. Um, I there's a lot of brands that have kind of just started work you know a girl on her own in a bedroom with a sewing machine like making making waves mini waves that they're starting to grow in the future um and I just love working with girls who have like graduated from university think put two fingers up to the fashion industry by the way it's being run and want to do things their own way that's just fills me with joy that's what I love yeah, yeah. That, was, that was me when I first <laughs> uni on Camden Market yeah and I suppose the equivalent these days is 
um, having your own website and and marketing your business on yeah. social media it's easier to set up a brand these Definitely. days isn't it? yeah I think especially girls my age they beat themselves up a bit think, looking at girls who are sort of 19 20 thinking oh look what they're doing now and I just think I didn't even have a phone at that age <laughs> a phone. I didn't have a computer yeah with internet and um, it's so it's a completely different world you would have had to pay five thousand pounds at least for the most basic website it's it's just a different time and I read a book recently about the beginning of Netflix called that will never work it was really good and he oh we like a book recommendation on this podcast yeah that that, will never work that will never work because he came up with all these ideas and his friends or his wife was always like that will never work and then he came up with this idea for Netflix that'll never work and then he made it work kind of a little bit rich now he is yeah yeah, I've not heard of that oh brilliant I'll look out for that yeah and he was saying that um, when he started Netflix there was a book that you could buy with all the registered websites it's like here's a book that's like a yellow pages of websites and he was just like yeah and then about a year later it was like it had multiplied by 300 or something. There's no way that you could have put it inside a book, but it was a completely different time. But that's what's so exciting now that it is so accessible. But I think because it's so accessible, there is so much competition. And that's what I like working with people on is how to stand out from the crowd and how to not compare yourself to somebody like Topshop. They say, oh, you know, that that T-shirt's £20 in Topshop. Why is mine 50 But it's like, okay, well, let's explain to people why yours is that and why it's so much more special to buy somebody from you. And like you being the operative word, it's like all about you and having a face behind the brand and somebody buying. Yeah, sorry, you go. Now, so I was going to say, so for people listening to this then who are thinking of setting up a brand, what advice do you give for them to stand out then? Yeah, so your USP is you. Nobody has had your life experience. Nobody has had the reasons as to why you personally want to start a business. Um, This is one of my pet peeves is uh, when when I say, well, what's your USP and go, oh, I I wanted to start this brand because I couldn't find what I was looking for on the market. And I just think, one, that is why every single business starts in the whole wide world. So not you. (laughs) And two, it's all about you. And so Mm. that's absolutely fine. So if I read it again, I couldn't find what I was looking for when I was looking for what I wanted on the market. It's it's me, me, I, 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 me, me, I, I, I. And so when you're talking about your customer, if I said to you, like, Jane across the road has started this brand because she couldn't find what she was looking for, nobody would care. And so you've got to think she couldn't find x you know specifically mm. a very specific niche what it was and therefore she wants to create this product for you and so yeah. going back to what i was saying earlier when i worked at a supplier and noticing that i'm not a buyer anymore i am a supplier and i am there to serve that's the transition people have to make is you're not a consumer anymore you're a seller and so you are there to serve a, a group of people so you can you can talk about your life experiences and whatever but your sales tactics can't be focused around you it all has to yeah. be focused around like solving a problem for a specific audience because people always think what's in it for me you've got to yeah. think what's in it for me yeah. but it's the same thing when people approach me and they say i'm setting up a brand and the and it's usp is it's made in the uk <laughs> oh no 
it's or like, it's sustainable. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Or it's sustainable. We'll define sustainable. Or, you know, it can't just be about the fact that it's made in the UK. You need a, a, to tell a whole story there. Yeah, why have you made it in the UK? Why is yeah, that exactly. Yeah. How is it made in the UK? Or um, Who's making it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sort of like digging and digging and digging. And um, my friend, she has a phrase that your why should make you cry. And uh, it's, it's like, it's a bit dramatic, but I kind of like it that yeah. if, if you are really that passionate about it. You want to get stand on stage. And I say to people, what's the thing that if you're down the pub, your friends are like, oh, no, don't get Kate on that topic. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get started on it. What's that thing for you? Because that's the thing that you're passionate about and yeah. um, that you really get your soap, get on your soapbox about. Well, for me then, it was when I was working at Debenhams and they made me get rid of the one supplier I had that was from Europe because the rest were in the Far East. Ah. My lovely Portuguese swimwear suppliers yeah. because their margin was not as high, high as everyone else. Even though the sell-through was amazing, they were easy to work with, product arrived much quicker, and I just thought this is not fair. You're just looking yeah. at the intake, intake margin. Yeah. Yeah. I could do a whole podcast about the difference between the intake and the exit margin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Fiona Lambert touched on it at our um, virtual event last week. So for you then, Elizabeth, what is your why? Oh, to see that this is now going to make me cry. Um, I Definitely around the experience I had at Arcadia and like the workplace bullying, I have in my uh, Insta bio the friendly face in fashion and I had it in a notebook for ages and I was like, I can't write that. That's so cheesy. But at the end of the day, it's the thing everything came back to is that I don't, am I allowed to swear on here? Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you have to be a bitch to succeed in fashion. And I know you don't. And I I know that I have got on pretty well from being all, all right most of the time. I have yeah, my bad exactly. days, don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I do think that it has a dreadful reputation with films like Devil Wears Prada. And I have lived through that. I know what so that is. So have I. We all have, yeah, yeah. worked with someone like that. I don't, I don't want anyone who... Uh, wants to start a fashion brand to feel like they can't go to somebody because you know you could go to somebody like your mum who would love to help you but doesn't have the knowledge or you could go to like an ex-buyer but who has the knowledge but doesn't want to share it and it's all very cloak and dagger and Mm -hmm. that when I discovered you I just thought that's amazing that there's this place that you can go and find all these manufacturers it's not secret it's not um you don't have to pay to get in it's like just all welcome everyone welcome and everyone's nice like amazing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what it should be like exactly and I've always thought you reap what you sow and you know and if and and we've all worked with those people who are total bitches who actually at the end of the day you know if you're like that then that's the sort of crowd that you attract yeah and I think those days are starting to to crumble I agree hopefully I think yeah the whole planet you know it's the place is far too small the industry is too small and and now that sort of people don't put up with that sort of working at a supplier is an absolute wake-up call because the amount of people that come through the door and everyone's always on rotation nobody ever stays anywhere for very long and so when you, people start coming in the door you're like oh thank god I was nice to her oh thank god I was <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's all it, yeah it, it is very much a tiny industry where 
everybody knows everyone. So yeah, brilliant. So um, working now with small brands rather than working for a big retail, you know, what is the big difference, and how can small brands um, now stand out? Yeah, to those big guys, because I really think now is the time for the small and independent businesses to really shine. Definitely. It's like the underdog generation and um, mm. the uprising of independent brands. And I know when we did our live last week for the event, we were saying that a lot of our clients and um, people that we know in the industry who have independent brands have actually had some of their best months ever during lockdown. And it's because people are starting to think about where they're spending their money a little bit more. Like a worldwide pandemic kind of forces you to think about what you believe in and where you, yep. um, yeah. you want to be voting with your money effectively. And so whereas before you might have worked on Oxford Street, you nip into Zara on your lunch break, splash £100, £200 here – now you think, do I really want to be doing that? I might buy a T-shirt from Zara every now and then, like fine. But actually, I've got a little bit more time to research into brands that uh, care about the things that I care about. And I do, I'm, I'm not naive. Like I do still think it's very, very early days. Like I did a talk uh, for another trade show recently and we were saying, well, if you go out shopping, H&M's got a queue, Zara's got a queue, Primark's got a queue. There is still a massive, massive demand for those businesses. But I do think it's got to start somewhere. And there's the ad early adopters. And I think that's where we're at is that, that there is these early adopters that are starting to shift towards being a value-driven consumer. And mm. so that's why it's so important to stand for something. It's why somebody like Debenham shut down is because you go in there, they tried to please everybody all of the time. If I said, if anybody asked me what Debenham stands for, I wouldn't really know. I wouldn't know what to say. No. And I kind of like everything in there and it was fine. But you don't get that like hand slap on the table moment thinking, oh, I have to have it. I have to yeah. have it. And this was made for me. And the only way you get that is by providing a very specific product for a very specific audience and people are so mm. frightened to do it because they think they're alienating everybody else yeah and it's not yeah. the place it's like you've got to start somewhere and so to create that super fan niche fan base it has to start there and then it can grow yeah. and let yeah. that sort of ebb and flow naturally so I'd say definitely being value driven, figuring out what your purpose is, what you get on your soapbox about. It will be somewhat related in there. It might take a little bit of like writing down, but it will be related somehow. I would say being working with somebody like a seamstress to get it off the ground and um not committing your life savings to stock. <laughs> to stock, exactly. You don't need to if you're making it in the UK either. No, you don't. Yeah. Like, please do not think that buying 300 units of something at £5 will cost you less than buying 20 of something at £20 because yeah, exactly. quick you do the maths, it's much more expensive to buy 300 units of something. Um. And that's the other reason why you shouldn't have a launch with a big collection. So people that say, oh, it's a, you know, it's a range for career women between the ages of 25 and 45, and it's suits and jackets and skirts and trousers. No! The most successful businesses I've seen and worked with at Make It British over the last few years have been really, really tight niches. Like we've got a member called Posh Muckers who, who just makes suits for people to muck out 
their horses that just look cool that aren't you know just like right. run of the mill that's all she started with yeah. and she's doing really well you know look at Hyatt Denning they just do jeans they don't try and do anything else and I'm sure you're the same so I mean who from the companies are oh, you Lucy and Yak oh, dungarees yeah this yeah. I'm really this girl she um I'll give her a shout out she's Emma at Bowtie on Instagram and she used to sell bow ties for weddings lockdown happened obviously can't do that she was like what can I make instead? And she started selling scrunchies. She's making thousands and thousands of pounds every month from selling scrunchies. That's it. Nothing else. Just yeah, scrunchies. Yeah. And, uh, I'll have to tell my daughter. My daughter loves a scrunchie. Uh, so to look out yeah, for Send me the details and I'll put the link in the show oh, notes. I will. Well. Yeah, she's like my best Insta friend. So <laughs> always <laughs> I'll give her a shout out. Um, but yeah, super niche. You do not need to put every single idea that you've ever had in your life into your first collection. I definitely see that as like a common mistake mistake and mm. people put everything into it that it's gonna um crash and burn or take off that's not the way the world works it will kind of do all right in the first collection you learn a bit you tweak a bit you add a bit you go again and then it progressively grows like very slowly gently 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 monkey monkey and <laughs> um, that's how you want a business to start because then it will have that um structure and oh, I don't know what the word is where it's just like very safe it's growing nice and safely whereas if you have this huge spike if you got like a thousand orders overnight you'd probably have a panic attack <laughs> so <laughs> let's just calm down a bit and say actually this first collection is going to be trialing a handful of things of which I can learn from and give yourself three years with this brand rather than three weeks <laughs> yeah that's, that's the other thing isn't it trying to run yeah trying to run before you walk yeah and doing everything yeah so what are the other pitfalls then that you see people oh definitely trying make? to be bigger than they acting bigger than they are so on their about page it's about us when it's just elizabeth at home with her sewing machine it's it's not about yeah. us it's about you and people think oh is that unprofessional to think it's just me and i say well what what would you do if you were shopping online and you went on etsy and you found a dress and it was made by a girl would you think yuck that's disgusting you know I, I, I highly doubt it what you might think is like go her respect that you yeah. start your business and you're doing it all on your own like if you're doing all the work take all the credit and um the reason why somebody would buy from an independent brand is because they want to support a person rather than a faceless sort of big corporate business like, I mean, you only need to take one flick through a newspaper to know that those corporate businesses are really struggling. So why are we trying to replicate them? They're, all they want to do is replicate you. So make sure you realise you're the person of power in this situation. And yeah. So what do you think? We've talked talk quite a bit about the high street. What do you think the future is for the high street because already like we say Debenhams have closed down and I'm sure in the next 12 months quite a few of the well-known retailers on the high street are going to disappear yeah. what do you think will happen a really cool article which I'm praying it will come to life have you ever been to Asia and like the way their department stores are all their department stores are like um 
they're not even they're not even really like department stores it's like a shopping mall but every shop is really tiny. yes like hyper hyper you know you're too young to <laughs> hyper hyper originally in the 80s in south kensington right which was shops within shops yeah i think that would mm. be it so yeah who's going to fill uh all these debenhams around the country like nobody can yeah. fill that and or like it might be somebody like h&m or next where they've got like sofas and clothes and kids mm. and a cafe that they can bung in it but even next you know like next on oxford circus they've got a uh, paper chase and hema and costa in and lipsy and which they own anyway but and next all inside that one shop so that's like the beginning of a shop within a shop but uh, this article was like, if you go shopping in Asia, they have these massive spaces, but every shop is like yeah. boutique. They've all got their own shutters that they pull down and they open up their shop. Yeah, and so it's less pressure, it's less rent, um, it's a lovely community. So it's almost like lifting off of Instagram, everything that's happening on there, but in physical spaces, but at a much mm. lower risk. And so mm-hmm. I'm praying, praying, praying that that is what will happen with these big spaces. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea. Actually, I used to have a shop in Portobello Green Arcade, oh. um, which is where um, pre are they still in there? There was about thirty units in that. It was very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a community. Nearly everyone was a maker or made their own products or was a small business. Yeah, um, like, and again, the rents were low. When you don't want to sell at a market anymore, but you're not quite ready for a shop, that is like the perfect um, middle ground. Because there is, I think the maker's market is very well catered for and like the entrepreneurship, uh, you know, like Virgin Startup and stuff, they're quite well catered for. But it is that middle ground that and I think we're both the same, that we want to help them because it, I think that's where a lot of people stumble is there's a quite a big gap between there. And there's not a huge amount of people out there helping those people get from being mm. a to a massive brand. Yeah. I mean, we've seen quite a few of our members get together and do pop-up shops as a group because pop-up shops can be quite expensive if you've got a whole shop unit Mm. on a busy high street. So they get together three or four like-minded brands, but it's always very transient, which is a real shame. Yeah, definitely. It's something, yeah, nice and um, permanent, but not too permanent at the same time. It's a bit like park. Yeah, exactly. I suppose that's the closest. Yeah. Thing. and it's yeah. as well and it's got the food it's got to have food always it's got to have food the <laughs> box park is a bit of a shame in when you go to the box parks now a lot of the shops in there are the, still the well-known brands and not the independents yeah i know what you mean because the rents become unaffordable yeah so and um, hmm, send me a copy of that article if you've still got it as well i'd really like to read yeah, that if you can remember my, where it was it might be on my linkedin i usually post it almost just for my own reference so i can keep everything together so if i find it i'll definitely send it to you brilliant okay so um what, what does the future hold for you? Where do you see? I didn't realize you'd only been running. Um, what's your is your business called Elizabeth Styles or is it yeah, called Fashion Feed? It's, it's called, called Elizabeth because I didn't think it was going to go. Not that I didn't think it was going to go, but I just didn't really think about branding it or anything. Um, and also, I didn't want to be like, oh, that fashion girl on Instagram. I, I wanted mm. to know that they could come to me and talk to me. So that's why it was my name. Um, and so I work one one-to-one with clients on their mindset manufacturing and marketing 
But because my purpose is around, like where I was saying earlier about that I don't want people to think you have to be nasty to work in fashion, I, it's also around um, when I was growing up, I went to this really academic, like private girls' school and creativity wasn't taken seriously whatsoever. Like to this day, it makes my blood boil when people... I was at one exactly the same, (laughs) Croydon High School for Girls. Yeah, high school for girls, definitely. Yeah. And so I can't draw, I can't do maths. I was in this like middle ground of kind of liking business but didn't want to be in a suit. And so it was that idea that you can be a high-flying career woman or a poor starving artist and again, it's that that middle ground. And um, I wanted to think, why can't? Why is it this narrative that you can't make money as a creative? Of course you can. The the number one. I mean, like <laughs> Philip Green for example. He's yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but like the richest man in Sweden is the owner of H and M. The richest man in Spain. And it's all right. And if not one of the richest men in the world, he is. Mm. Um, Jeff Bezos, you know, he's owning Amazon. Like there is a massive, massive, massive amount of money to be made in retail. I think Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. So, where has this come from? Why do people think that you can't make money? And I've done talks before where girls have come up to me crying afterwards saying, oh my God. I wanted to work in fashion and my mum said it was silly or it was a joke or, you know, I'm sure you've had it where you say you work in fashion Mm. and your mates are rolling their eyes like, oh, here she comes with her crayons. And And I I think I can laugh it off, but actually that's my career that you're taking the mick out of. It it really does wind me up. So so going back to the idea that I I became fully booked working one-to-one with people, I was like, I know there's so many more people out there that I really want to make a go of making money from what they're good at and their creativity. So I started um, launching courses about how to start a fashion brand, how to believe that it's possible to be creative and show up for your business online, how to create content to sell online, because it's not just as easy as going product plus Instagram account equals money. (laughs) There is a little bit more to it than that. So um, yeah, I started working in a group format so that I could help more people. Brilliant. And you've got a podcast as well, haven't you? So please give your podcast a plug. Yes, thank you. Now is the time. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to be a guest on it very soon. Yeah. Um, it's called The Fashion Feed. Again, it goes back to the idea about um, wanting to work in fashion, not really knowing what I could do if I wasn't a fashion designer. And I wanted to educate like the next generation of fashion creatives and creatives in general, really, that there are so many jobs out there that you can do that don't involve a camera or you know a pen and paper you can be a buyer you can be a merchandiser you can be a visual merchandiser you can work in PR you can work in HR but in a creative industry and what does that look like and I think it's again it's so secretive the fashion industry Mm. open up the doors and go here you go here's all the things you could be doing e-commerce yeah SEO so you might be manufacturing, manufacturing exactly. Go and <laughs> factory, go and do all the costings, work, negotiate all the prices and the delivery dates, and manage that. Mm. And so I interview all different people from the industry just to go. 
here you go. These are all the opportunities that you have as a young creative. And then I also interview brands as well to show how people are doing things a little bit differently to the norm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so true about, um, you know, the careers in fashion. People just think of fashion design. Yeah. And this did come up a lot last week at the, our virtual event when we talked about how education fits into the whole kind of production process because too often people talk about fashion as just fashion design. Yeah. And like you say, you were one of the first people on the course that was not about fashion but not just about design because – more often than not, you know, oh, I want to be in fashion. Oh, well, then if you can't draw, you can't be a designer, so you can't be in fashion. Yeah. I mean, that's just bonkers. I know, and that generation above us still thinking that it's a bit silly. And it's I'm here to be like, it is absolutely not. I made a very, very good living um, doing that. And actually, I'm doing even better now. So, And it's all been in fashion. Like, I've not had any secret help anywhere. I'm not like, I've made all my money in fashion in in the, in the fashion industry and so can you like I want yeah. you to know that as if you're not getting that message from elsewhere in your family or in your life or in your education you need to know that you can do that and that's absolutely it's a very safe good career to run after if that's what you're passionate about I think that's why as well you get a lot of people, you mentioned earlier lawyers that might want to get into fashion I mean I certainly see my I think the lady that I mentioned with the posh muckers she was originally a lawyer yeah. or someone's a doctor because they went down that traditional career path mm -hmm. because it was seen as the dumb thing yeah. you know you're a clever girl you should go and do law when actually really what your passion is is to have your own brand yeah. in some way it, so it will never ever leave you alone this is almost like a warning yeah. to anyone listening it will not get it will not leave you alone a lot of my clients are like 30 40 50 plus because they just get to a point in their career where they think, I hate this. I've hated it for yeah. years and I've always wanted to do that. And so now is the time I'm going to do it. Brilliant. Fantastic. So where can people find you, Elizabeth? Instagram, obviously. Your Instagram is brilliant. Oh, One of the only people I know who's brave enough to do reels at the moment. I feel like a 13-year-old child. I know. I, I always just take a moment to think about how I could do it where I'm not going to die of cringe factor. So I'm at Elizabeth Styles UK on Instagram and I'm elizabethstyles.co.uk is my website. So get in touch. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for being a guest today. Ew. You're a superstar. Oh. And um, I'll see you on your podcast soon. Yeah, see you then. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British-made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.